turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I'll begin with the handout, the first paragraph where we read, in our last study, we took the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. The assignment for the week before that was for you to read that, seven, five, six, and 7 as a whole. And then last week we stopped at the last two verses of chapter 7, and we took that as our subject matter, as our text, where we read, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority. Now this is talking about the Lord Jesus. The people that heard were astonished over his doctrine, for he had taught them as one having authority. And then it closes the book of, or the seventh chapter, with these words, and not as scribes. Now that just jumped out at me. And we spent we spent some time last week talking about the one who had, you know, being astonished, uh, what it was to to have the grace of God spoken to our hearts and being astonished, being amazed. And and I think my best statement last week was as one who having authority was this, duh, he's God, he's got all authority. And then we we kind of looked a little bit at this, at, at not as the scribes, but we'll see, we'll see a little bit, we'll, we'll take a little bit more look at that as we go through this in sections. Now I pray this will be our key for the Lord to open his word to our hearts as we go through this sermon in sections, considering this one who teaches as one having authority and not as the scribes. So look, read with me if you would, verses 1 through 12, of Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye... When men shall revile you and persecute you, and ye shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for, for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now we'll have the rest of tonight's study in the handout. If you'd like to join me in your handout, mid-page of page one. Let's begin by considering the differences between religions. There are only two types of religion, true or false, works or grace, and most are religions of works, a false teaching that men love for it declares their part as the basis for their salvation. I did this or I did that and received the reward of God's work. That's that's the, the religions of work. Relig- works religion condemns men to their sinful works, whether it be something physically or mentally. 
If your salvation is at any point depending on something of you, your decision, your works, whatever it may be, it is a works religion that will damn you to eternal torment. That is the religion of the scribes. If you do this, you'll be saved. Their faith was based on their ability to do God's commandments. Let's consider verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5 for just a moment. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The works religionists would read that as if you are blessed if you make yourself poor in spirit. And the reward of the kingdom of heaven will be yours. But that's not what it says, does it? No, it says blessed first. Blessed comes first. Those who are blessed are the poor in spirit. Or in other words, if you are blessed of God, you are poor in spirit. Page 2. Taking the whole counsel of God into consideration with this statement, poor in spirit, we see it is not a natural state to the unregenerate man. In Romans 8, verses 7 through 8, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. To be truly poor in spirit, one must be made poor. The old stony heart full of pride must be cut away and made poor. A new heart, one that God reveals his truths of, of their condition before a thrice holy God. As it says, dead in trespasses and sin. That's our condition. According to the book of God, there are some people in this world who are truly blessed. Blessed of God. Blessed from eternity. Blessed now. And blessed forever in Christ. Blessed with all the blessings of grace here and all the blessings of everlasting glory hereafter. That's what we read in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. There are some sons and daughters of Adam who truly are blessed of God. Well, who are they? They are those who are chosen in Christ in eternal election. Again, in Ephesians chapter 1, this time 3 through 6, we read, Blessed be God the Father, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he, in other words, because of or, or, or by, as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Who are they? They are those who were chosen in Christ in the eternal election. There are those who, last paragraph, page 2, there are those who trust the Lord. Blessed is the man that trusteth the Lord and whose hope is the, the Lord is. That's in Jeremiah 17, 7. In Luke 11, 27 through 28, we read, And it came to pass, as he spoke these things, 
a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. Now listen to what the Lord responded to that. He says, but he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Those who trust God. Those are the ones who, who are blessed. Who are they? Turn to page 3. They are those who fear the Lord, as it says in Psalms 12, 8, 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in His ways. They are those whose sins are forgiven. Listen to Psalms 32, verses 2 and 3. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Or as, or as the Apostle Paul puts it over in Romans 4.8, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Who are the blessed of God? Those who are not offended by Christ. Listen to Luke chapter 7, verse 23. And blessed is whoever shall not be offended in me. The blessed of God are those who endure temptation, as it says in James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. There are some in this world who are blessed of God. Are you among those? Are you among these blessed ones? Am I? In these 12 verses, the Lord Jesus sets before us the character of those men and women who are blessed of God. And I quote from John 6.45, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. So I pray the Lord will teach us. Our teacher here is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, the true preacher, the true prophet of His church. He of whom the prophet spoke is now the preacher. The voice we hear in these verses is the voice of our Master, it is the voice of him who spoke as never a man spake, as it's quoted in John 7.46. The place was on a mountain in Galilee. It wasn't Mount Sinai or Mount Olivet or Mount Calvary, but a common Galilean hillside. But on that common hillside, the Son of God met with and instructed his disciples. The congregation was his disciples. The sermon was addressed to those who professed to be his followers. Others may have been present and heard the message, but the message was particularly addressed to men and women who had publicly vowed, avowed their faith in Christ by baptism and hope that they would live with Christ forever in heaven. Or in other words, that sermon was addressed to people just like you and I. Now our text in Matthew 5 verse 2 and we're not going to be able to look at all 12 of those tonight uh, we're going to be able to cover, cover a couple of them so I want to consider if you would in Matthew 5 verse 2 he opened his mouth and taught them it says now when our Savior's mouth was closed he taught by example yet he did not refrain from speaking did he as well as living the truth and when he spoke he spoke earnestly he opened his mouth and taught. He did not mumble. He did not mutter. He did not stutter. And when he opens his mouth, Lord help us to open our ears and hear what he says. What a blessed scene this was. We have before us, as the law was given from the mount 
the Lord Jesus went up onto a mount to proclaim the gospel. But there is a great contrast. At Mount Sinai, boundaries were set which the people were not allowed to cross. When our great Savior came preaching the gospel, he set no boundaries for sinners. No boundaries that sinners could not cross. He said, Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was. There am I, and now the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. That's Isaiah 48, verses 16 through 17. What a loving, gracious words our Lord proceeded to speak out of his mouth. Now let's consider, if you would, the attitudes given in Matthew 3 through 12. Here the Son of God describes his people by eight distinct characteristics, and he pronounces eight beatitudes, eight blessings of grace upon them. He is himself the great comprehensive blessing of all blessings, of course, and the blessedness of his people, but these are eight that, that he has put that he gives upon his people. And in these verses, our Savior gives us eight distinct characteristics of blessed people. First one. Poor in spirit, people who mourn, the meek of the earth, people who hunger and thirst after righteousness, page 5, the merciful, the pure in heart, peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. As I was doing my homework and listening and going through the whole message on Sermon on the Mount, I thought to myself at first, it sure seems like there's a lot of works here for us, isn't there? As I read this list here, the question comes to mind, it comes to my mind right away, where are such people to be found? Where are you going to find people like this? Where, where are you going to find people who are truly blessed to this degree? Can any among the fallen sons and daughters of Adam possess such traits? Well, scriptures declare there are none who are good. It declares none who do good and none who seek after God. Isn't that what we read in the Psalms 14, 1 through 3? The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God, and they all had gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And, and like I said, that was Psalms 14, but listen to these words from Romans. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of ash is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now that fits me a whole lot more than that list of eight that we just read up above. Now obviously those who are, 
here described are something more than natural men, speaking of those eight characteristics. Those described can only be the redeemed of the Lord, His own elect, those who were given to Him by the Father, made blessed in righteousness of the Son, and regenerated and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We see in verse 3 it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Notice he did not say, Blessed are the poor. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, Brother Don wrote this about that. He said, Those who are poor in spirit are men and women who in their own judgment and esteem are spiritually poor. Their souls are barren and empty before God. Page 6. They have no righteousness of their own, no good works, no good thoughts, nothing which which they to commend themselves to God. As John Gill wrote, being sensible of their poverty, they place themselves at the door of mercy and knock there. Their language is, God be merciful. They are important and they will have no denial yet receiving at least favor with thankfulness. Now before God lifts up His grace, lifts lifts us up by His grace, He brings us down. Until we are poor in spirit, we will not seek mercy in Christ. It's painful, but blessed work when God puts a soul into a bankrupt state. Jacob was brought down, as you, read, you can read in Genesis 32-27, he was brought down, if you recall, Jacob's brother Esau, had been sent away and he'd come back and Jacob had heard that he was coming back and he was fearful. He was fearful because he wronged uh, Esau. He, he wronged Esau greatly and he thought Esau was coming back for vengeance. And, and it turned out, as, as the Lord humbled, he brought Jacob down in, those, in that time before Esau had returned. But once Esau had returned, the Lord lifted Jacob back up again. So we see that Jacob was brought down Isaiah was brought down in Isaiah 6 uh, verses 1 through 8. Isaiah had a vision of, of the throne of God. And in that vision, you, you may recall, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. Now the Lord had to bring him down to that state of knowing that he was unclean and un, uh, uh, un, unworthy of being in the presence of that throne, in the presence of God who sat on his throne. And then the Lord sent an angel with a, with a hot coal and touched his lips, a picture of the gospel coming and burning in the lips of God's people, making uh, Isaiah whole again. And so the Lord brought him down and then He brought him back up. The woman who had an issue of blood, you recall, she was brought down through all those years, all the money that she had spending trying to be healed of this issue of blood. The Lord caused that to come upon her to bring her down. But then He brought her back up. He brought her to Himself to see Him. Onesimus, you remember Him? He was the unfaithful servant. He was, he was, humid, uh, he was shamed by what He had done to His Master. But Paul had written a letter in Philemon to, to, to the saints, restore Him, restore unto Him. So the Lord took Him down. He he brought him down, but he brought him back up. And then you you know the, the, the parable of the prodigal son, of course. The Lord took him down. He, he lost everything, all of his inheritance in, in food and wine. 
And yet the Lord raised him back up again when he came back home and his, and his father received him with hugs. God knows how to make proud, self-sufficient sinners poor in spirit. He knows how to bring sinners down. Listen to these words. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contempted the counsel of the Most High, therefore He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and He brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saveth them out of their distresses. Page 7. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. That's Psalms 107, verses 10 through 22. Those who are poor in spirit are people who have been made to know their desperate need of free grace in Christ Jesus, their all-sufficient Savior. Those who have been brought to know they have nothing, they can do nothing. They must have someone to atone for their sins. They must have someone to make them righteous before God. They need pardon and grace for their countless sins. A man by the name of Roland Hill wrote these words. He said, Poverty of spirit is the bag into which Christ puts the riches of His grace. Isn't that beautiful? Saved sinners are men and women who know their utter poverty of soul before God. They are people convinced of their sin by God the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what we read in our text. In Psalms we read these words, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. The Lord declares this in Isaiah 62, verse 66, verse 2, to this man I will look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. If a person is ever brought to the place that he has nothing in himself, he will have everything by grace in Christ. But as long as a person imagines that he has something in himself, he has nothing. Nothing is more painful to, be to our proud flesh but nothing is more needful than we being made poor in spirit before God. Are you poor in spirit? If you are, you are blessed. God made you poor. And He has made you an heir of His kingdom in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Page 8. Let's consider one more for tonight. Verse 4, it says, Blessed are they that mourn. There is a mourning that is sinful, 
as it was when Jonah mourned over the withered gourd. There is a mourning that comes natural as, as when we mourn over the death of a loved one. And there's a mourning, a crying, a sorrowfulness that is the result of God's operation of grace in the heart. Those who mourn in this sense, our Lord Jesus declares, are blessed. The mourners, our Savior here declares to be blessed, are those who mourn over their sins. Listen to Psalms 51. And this is where Nathan, the prophet Nathan, had come to David and pointed the finger at David. Remember, David had an affair with Bathsheba. And he thought he he thought nobody knew about it, but the Lord had told the prophet Nathan to go and, and declare the Lord knowing this. Here's what David wrote after that in Psalm 51, 1-17. through Have mercy upon me, O God. This is the morning that, 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 that the Lord is telling us about. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. I can picture the, the publican over in the side of the temple, over inside of the, uh, just pounding on his chest, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. David goes on to say, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part that shall make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face, from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, a renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. No sooner is grace poured into our hearts, giving us the knowledge of Christ as our Savior, than we are made to see and to know the wretchedness that is ours by nature. Listen to the words of Zechariah 12.10, top of page 9. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son. And they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. When Christ is revealed in us, our hearts melt before him. I cannot understand how one who claims to be a believer of truth in whom sin is not the greatest burden or the greatest sorrow or the greatest trouble to them. Indwelling sin is the believing soul is to the believing soul a constant source of bitterness and sorrow. Like Paul the believer cries out, "O oh, wretched man that I am." Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This mourning over sin, the sin that is in us is the lifelong experience causing God's saints to be in a state of continual repentance, ever looking to Christ alone for redemption and for righteousness. The more fully we are made aware of our sin, the more we mourn over it. The more we are compelled to look out of ourselves and look to Christ alone for righteousness and the more he is endeared to our hearts we think of these words in 1 Peter 2 7 unto you therefore which believe he is precious is Christ precious to you oh the more I see of my sin the more precious his blood becomes to my heart how wonderful it is to hear our Savior declare, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn because of their sin shall be comforted here by the revelation of Christ in our hearts. Though we mourn because of our sin and utter corruption, we are comforted by the knowledge and assurance of Christ's all-sufficient, see, as our surety, our substitute, our Savior. His righteousness is ours. His sanctification is ours. He has by His one great sacrifice put away our sins forever. How comforting it is to hear the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace in His darling Son. How comforting it is to hear Him speak to our hearts by His Holy Spirit through the Scriptures. How comforting it is to remember our dear Savior as we eat the bread and we drink the wine at the Lord's table as we'll do this weekend. How comforting it is to seek grace and mercy from the throne of grace in every time of need by prayer and supplication. Page 10. How comforting it is to know that He who loved us and gave Himself for us rules all things for our good ordering all the affairs of providence according to his infinite wisdom and goodness and according to his own infinite eternal love for us. Yes, those who are taught of God to mourn over their sin are comforted, comforted here. And when we drop this robe of flesh in the grave and are brought into the heavenly glory dwelling forever in the presence of our God and Savior, we shall be fully and eternally comforted. 
Listen to these words from Jeremiah 50. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found. For I will pardon them whom I reserve. In that great day, our God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. Then we shall be free from sin, free from all the evil consequences of sin, free from the sorrow, and made possessors of all the glory of the Father that He has given unto the Son as our mediator. Listen to John 17.5 And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. And then we drop down to verse 21 and 22 of John 17, and we read these words, that they, they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent me, and the glory which Thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. The Lord Jesus, who speaks as one of authority, graciously blessing a people, and the results are, versus a blind religious scribe of this world teaching you can achieve these blessings if you will just do this or do that. That's the difference. Christ speaks with grace and the authority of God Almighty. What do we read there? Matthew 7, verse 28-29, to And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine, for He taught them as having one authority and not as the scribes. Amen.